We aren't imagining things. There's a lot more guest speakers and experts than ever before. And that number is always growing. Over the past eight years, broadcasting and podcasts were peaking, and every social media platform has made it possible for you to have a TV channel or a radio show. And I still see more growth in the amount of speakers. I don't get as excited about interviews and guest speakers anymore. And hosts of events, podcasts, and channels are even more disappointed because the extraordinary speaker has become a rare commodity. You're listening to It All Works. I'm your host, Jason Wheeler, and this is episode five. We know a good guest speaker when we see or hear one. They capture our attention and keep it longer than most. And it's not about one particular quality they may have. They have many different things working for them. And we can't help it. As much as we want to stop that video, their gravitational pull keeps us in orbit. And the longer we stay, the more likely it is we will remember them. You might even tell someone else about them and look up other things they have done. Because your first encounter was not long enough, and you have a hunch they have more of what you need somewhere else on the internet. Let's face it, you have a bit of a crush now. But if the host who got the guest speaker for that event is completely head over heels for their special guest, that's when you know for sure you've just experienced an extraordinary speaker. I think we need to open up about what the guest speaking landscape is like today and the different qualities that make someone an extraordinary guest speaker. It doesn't matter if you're interviewing someone or being interviewed. The reason the arrangement is happening is because of reach. That's the currency for almost all interviews. If you want your audience to grow, you need to reach more people, pure and simple. The host wants to interview somebody who is relevant, knowledgeable, and skilled that will not only bring new and attractive content, but also bring their audience too. The guest wants to be interviewed by a host that has a relevant, engaged, and large audience. Right from the start, this arrangement has friction. The host or the guest really doesn't know to any degree of accuracy what they are going to get out of this. But at the very least, they will be creating content together. Unfortunately, the arrangement is one of the biggest problems. The reason why is because both parties are after each other's following. They want each other's people. The host has been growing their audience by getting a slice of their guests' audiences. And the guest has been growing their audience by getting a slice of their host's audiences. And the audience they're both after has a finite amount of attention for content. And someone in this arrangement might just lose. And the friction and concerns about the outcome from these arrangements have brought about some pretty poor behaviors. Here's how this goes, and you can nod your head if you've bared witness to any of this. A host wrangles up 20 guest speaker interviews, so there will be a potential for a large audience. The audience will be a sum total of everyone the guest speakers bring with them by promoting the event. So if each guest have a potential audience of 5,000 people, then the total potential is 100,000 people for that event. So now the host can leverage the concept of a 100,000-person potential audience to get the other guest speakers to agree to a joint arrangement. The speaker willfully likes the idea of getting in front of an audience 20 times the size of their own and would be willing to share their audience to do so by promoting the event to them. This structure makes sense and so does the math. And you know what happens most of the time? That 100,000 audience is over 5,000 on a rare occasion and mostly below 1,000, because it was only based on potential. The host didn't really know how many each guest speaker had as an active and engaged audience. And the speakers know it, so the speaker figures. If the host doesn't really know, 
How can I be sure I'm going to get what I need from this deal? And worry if they're going to be the only sucker that promotes and offers up their audience to be devoured by all the other speakers and the host. So what you have is a huge black hole where an event was supposed to be, and it sucked in any potential audience, and the event might have sucked too, because it just might have failed everyone. And in this story, you know who's to blame? The host. Not the speaker, as lousy as some of them may have been, there were some good ones really trying hard to make the event a success and keep their promises. The host was the problem. And I just want to add, if you ever hear about someone talk about their online summit failed because summits are useless, or interview podcasts don't work because everyone else is doing them, that person failed as a host. The host is a gatekeeper and they are the head person in charge. They make all the arrangements. They decide who's in the event and what they're going to talk about. If an audience doesn't show up for the event, the host is the real reason. And what it comes down to is due diligence. Here's how they set themselves up for failure. They didn't know enough about their guest speakers. They may have been in a rush or maybe they weren't careful or curious. There are a lot of hosts creating events and trying to put them together quickly. Granted, there are a lot of moving parts, but you can do everything else almost perfect. Just get the wrong speakers and it all fails. They might have posted looking for speakers for an event on ABC, and that post might have got the biggest response they've ever gotten. They will have a ton of people eager and willing to be on the event. And it won't just be people that do A, B, C. You will get volunteers from A through Z. They may arrange to do a call to see if that speaker is a fit. In that call, decisions will be made on very weak information. They will ask what they do and what they speak about. How many people are on their email list? Would they be willing to promote? Is there anywhere they could see some of their interviews from other events? And they will also gauge if they are a personality fit. And you know what? Those are all good questions. But these conversations really didn't need to happen. Finding or knowing who the extraordinary speakers are is an all-year task. Always. Before you create an event, you should already know more than half, if not all, of the speakers you would like to have. And be in a good position with them to make it a reality. If you follow the work of potential speakers all year round or at least several months you will already know what you need to know. You will know what they speak about, and you will have already seen them on an event or seen their work. You will know approximately the size of their audience and how engaged they are. And you will know if they honestly do promote for the events they are involved with. There's more. You will know if they're niched in enough to fit the event you are creating. You will find out if they are already in too many events. You will find out if they have multiple speaking points or if they just have one stick that they use for everything. You will pretty much figure out if they have a good personality fit ahead of time. And you will have plenty of time to build rapport with them. So if you do ask them to be on your event, your chances of it happening are really good. When it's suggested to build your network right from the start, it's not just your following. It's the others too. The ones you connect with, where you can help lift each other up. But there's one more thing that happens. When hosts continue to use lousy speakers in their events, they are just keeping the cycle going and there will continue to be lousy speakers as long as there are lousy hosts. If you want to listen to or see fewer lousy speakers, stop interviewing them. Don't give them your microphone. Don't share your audience with them. In this whole ecosystem, the common denominator is the speaker. And there are a ton of speakers out there that really want to share their message. Naturally, they all want to succeed and some really have. You know who they are. 
because they figured out a way to build an audience and set themselves apart from the rest. And over the past decade, there were many different ways people made it onto the bigger stage and took the spotlight. One thing is for sure, it took time and consistency to start. You knew that. What I want to go over is some of the things that are similar about these successful, extraordinary speakers. They all started from zero. That's something they share with all of us. No audience, nobody knew them. No social media presence, nada. So it's a level playing field in the beginning. It's what we do from there that makes all the difference. So we shouldn't feel down or sorry for ourselves starting with small numbers. Besides, there's a certain amount of fun growing something from nothing. They all started with a very niched-in set of talking points. The speakers that started talking about self-healing or wine have grown and expanded their talking points. But they knew they had to become notorious and be in the top of their niche before they could conquer another one. It's much easier to expand your reach when you've already successful one over a similar small one. They were well-rounded and knew almost every angle of their small niche, which meant they had a talent to talk about it anytime, anywhere. You couldn't blindside them with a tough question. They knew their stuff. They probably were so interested in their niche that they were fanatical learners and then in some cases became creative. They formed their own methods and then shared their experiences. They spent a lot of time creating and sharing their own content. These speakers didn't always have someone else's audience to speak to. They created their own, one person at a time. It's a bit of a drip-by-drip situation, but they managed to do it so consistently that it filled their cup, and they independently built an audience from the ground up on social media, and sometimes even in person, with anyone they had a conversation with on their special topics. They were careful not to get in front of the wrong audience. It didn't matter if it was a large or small audience, they knew the value of being in front of the right audience, and the trouble and waste it would be in front of the wrong one. For example... If you could only do 50 interviews this year, would you be more choosy which audiences it was in front of? You should be. It's a huge waste of time to do otherwise, and you know what you will hear in front of the wrong audience. Nothing. Another thing I noticed, even though they were niched in, they were still able to speak without sounding repetitious. There was a real depth to their many talking points. They learned how to communicate their message in many different ways, using many different experiences and stories. It never got boring, and they constantly looked for new ways to express their message. The extraordinary speaker didn't pivot or give up when the audience was small. When it seemed like no one else was going to show up, they didn't abandon their niche or message to try and figure out where everyone else was and what they wanted to hear. They stuck with their plan and message and found the ones that needed to hear it. They were more concerned about being the source of information for people that needed it. They were okay knowing that their content isn't for everyone, When they came in contact with the people they could help the most, it was rewarding and mutually beneficial. That's why it's easy to accept that not everyone is going to be into what they were about. It wasn't for them. And even if they tried, or it was forced on them, the outcome would not be positive. They saw value in not wasting their own and other people's time. They brought their best effort every time, because to them, as soon as they stopped giving 100%, they expected it to show up in the results because they never felt entitled to results. Even now, while they have huge audiences, they don't coast. They know things will slide if their effort does. And they know people will notice their heart's not into it, and that would make it even worse. They didn't just work on growing an audience. They grew a network. The people they needed around them to take the next steps were not always followers. 
Some of them were competitors, and others were doing the thing they hoped to be able to do one day. People who knew people. They didn't generate all their speaking gigs from fans. There were bigger people in their niche that they joint ventured with, people they worked with and supported each other so they could succeed together. Every single one of these points are important, and I could expand on them even more. They could probably be their own podcast, and maybe someday they will. But you can see there are things that most successful people do almost universally. And if we want to become exceptional speakers, we should take this list very seriously and apply it to ourselves. But there's additional things on top of this. How do I put this? There are certain things, like etiquette and professionalism, that will deem someone as an extraordinary speaker. And they don't have to be the biggest or most famous in their niche. But I can tell you, when a host raves about a speaker, you should wonder why. Aside from everything else I mentioned, you have to take a close look now at how people operate, and then you'll understand why they are considered extraordinary. When they enter into an arrangement, not only do they keep their promise to promote the event they are involved in, they bring results. Their own audience will go anywhere to see or hear them speak. And they have served their audience so well that they have confidence that they aren't going to lose their attention. Maybe only share with others for a bit. Now, for a host, this is just what they wanted. Unfortunately, there are a lot of speakers who have a large following but are unwilling to promote. They basically tell hosts, if you are using my name for the event, people will show up. From my own experience, this really doesn't work unless you're dealing with one of the elite top 0.001%. I've seen people with 400,000 followers that draw nothing but air to an event. And they keep getting asked to do speaking gigs online. And you know what? They are growing their following from those events. But their gravitational pull does not exist like you think it does. If they promoted, sure, people would show up. But they don't want to leak any attention, and they don't feel they should have to. You know what I think? I think we should focus on working with the ones that play well with others and are a little less insecure about their audience. The extraordinary speaker is worth it. They grow their audience without your event. They are that good. Another valuable quality they have is they are truly humble. They are the speakers that act humble when they are getting praised by others. The extraordinary speaker is humble in their actions, and they do it by staying in their lane. They do not profess to know everything. They can talk your ear off about what they do know, but when something is outside their circle of competence, they will yield the floor to someone else. They respect other people's area of expertise and will not pretend to know what they don't know. And speaking of respect, they will show it in many ways. They keep their promises like I mentioned before, but they respect your time as much as they would like you to respect theirs. They show up on the day. Mini rant here. I've heard wonderful stories from clients and associates about the superstar guest speaker they had for their event that on the day they had better things to do than show up to record their interview. And I'm saying this because it happens more than you think. Unfortunately, the host feels like they can do nothing about it. What are they going to say? If you can't make it, then you're out of the event. You know what will happen next. And that's why it's important to do due diligence on every speaker. Every last one of them. You know what else the extraordinary speaker does? They support the people in their network. And if you're lucky enough to know one of these individuals, you will soon realize that they appreciate the people they have around them. They don't take it for granted. And when they can help someone in their network, they do. And I can tell you why. First of all, their network is built on real trust. But more importantly, they got support from others to make it where they are today. They will support someone on their way up because they are giving and generous with their time. And you might notice that it does show when they are interacting with their audience and supporters. 
they are grateful. And that really makes a big difference to the people who have given their time and attention to the exceptional speaker they know and love. When I started putting together the information for this podcast, I realized that exceptional speakers have a lot of special qualities that they demonstrate on a consistent basis. I think it would be quite a task to do all the things that they do if it didn't come naturally. But looking at the history, none of them were naturals. They gradually became who they are. They learned from others and they knew what kind of a person they wanted to be as a speaker. It makes sense to say that to become and remain a very special, extraordinary speaker, it will take an unwavering discipline. And that's exactly what I saw in the ones that I know and support. And you and I will need to do the same if we want to become the kind of speakers people just can't get enough of. Making it all work. In this practical part of the episode where I try to give you a useful tip or guidance to nudge your way forward on this topic, I would really suggest you take some notes from the episode and make some of the exceptional speaker qualities some of your own. And be disciplined and consistent about it so it becomes habit, then natural. But since I'm a niche guy, I'm going to give you something practical to try. I want you to take a close look at who you help or serve. I want you to take a look at the needs of your niche and understand what they need to hear from you so they know it's for them and so they know you are the right person to listen to. Be precise as you can be. The more precise, the better. The next thing you should do is review your existing talking points. Take a look at all the different presentation and speeches and interviews. Review them and see if they fall in line with what you need to share with your niche. One of the most common mistakes we can make is being a little too broad or off topic. When this happens, I call it muddying the waters. Because the audience has a very narrow set of expectations when it comes to your content. If we drift too much, we can lose the people we can help the most. By doing this exercise, you might come up with more specific and impactful speaking points. If you're just getting started, then lucky you. This is your chance to create a list of topics that are tailored to your ideal audience without creating any confusion. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed creating it. In future episodes, I will come back to the topic of speaking online and go into different aspects of it to help you reach your goals. You can catch future episodes automatically by subscribing and get the next episodes as soon as they are released. I'll be uploading new episodes on Mondays, and this will work nicely with what's going on for the members of the It All Works Facebook group. If you go to the episode page at itallworks.com, you will see the notes for the Making It All Work portions of the podcast, and if you have any questions, you can email me from there too. I enjoy hearing from my listeners. Thanks again for sharing your time with me. Until next week, take care.